predominantly the hard market and the soft markets are based on revenues or profits and claims and losses. At the end of the day, if the revenues are high enough and losses are low, well, then the market starts to convert because everyone wants to become more competitive in that space, lowering prices, getting a larger market share. The opposite is the same. And the opposite is just as true. As claims go up and revenues and profits go down, the market starts tightening up. Welcome to the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. What's the real power of leverage? People think real estate is all about leveraging capital. Money is important, but what about the decisions we make? The things we do and don't do determine our success as investors. Choices and actions create success. Before we get to the bank, we make choices guided by mindset and by the things we do and don't know. If we want to succeed as investors, we need to leverage knowledge. We need to increase what we know so our actions pay bigger dividends. Join host Terry Schauer and Jean-Philippe Claude for conversations with leading experts in the real estate field. From mortgages to mindset and from macroeconomics to local market trends, grow your knowledge capital with us. Welcome to the Real Estate Investors Club podcast where we seek advice to help us make better investing decisions. Hello, and welcome to episode 11 of the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. On the show today, we're going to hear from Jacques Amslag, one of the top insurance brokers in Quebec for damage insurance. Now, damage insurance is something that I only began to understand properly later on in my real estate career, after I had a couple of claims that didn't get paid out the way I wanted them to, and when I had some good surprises about coverage that I didn't know I had. In this interview with Jacques, we're going to be talking about how the insurance industry is changing right now in Quebec, and also explain to you a little bit about some of the key things that you need to know when you're in the process of getting yourself damage insurance for your real estate investments. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. I have with me today Jacques Amslag, a damage insurance broker who works with Racine and Chamberlain. Um, Jacques is uh, specialized in real estate, and he does from multi-residential to commercial to industrial properties. Um, I had the pleasure of meeting Jacques a few years ago at uh, BNI, and I found that not only does he know his stuff, but he's also very good at making things simple in such a way that like us who are maybe laymen in insurance are able to, to understand. So Jacques, uh, welcome and thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Terry. And thank you to Jean-Philippe for having me with you guys today. And as you were mentioning, my role as an insurance broker, so to speak, uh, or at least the part of my role, which I appreciate the most is, is being able to explain to the general masses the way that insurance really does work in a simplified manner so that this complex industry at its base can become a little bit more of an easy matter for everyone to grasp because it is let's call it let's call it what it is something that we all have and that we all need okay well great I, we're going to be able to get into some of those explanations today so um i wonder just if by way of starting you can like maybe tell us a little bit like how did you get into insurance and how did you come to be where you are today because i think people always want to hear a little bit like the you know the backstory of, of how you started out in in real estate of course so uh first and foremost i actually started in the insurance industry at quite a young age as opposed to being uh how we say this as opposed to falling into this uh, industry, I chose to go into it. And at a young age of about 19, I started educa my education at uh, Vanier College and then led to McGill for the actual damage insurance courses. I began my career officially about, I would say, 13 years ago working at Marsha McLennan, which is the biggest brokerage in the world, where I was working alongside my colleagues on multinational accounts such as Bombardier, Abitibi Bowater, um, and Rio Tinto, and so forth. At a later time, I, just, I ended up moving from the larger enterprises to smaller businesses, uh, overseeing the programs for subways and you know small real estate, uh, re small real estate. Uh, I'm going to call them moguls because at the time those files were still quite large, and I found essentially a really very big interest in small business and assisting clients, whether they be starting to the ones who are already in large-scale large scale development uh, with anything from insurance advice to insurance procurement. Uh, at the age of 24, I decided to go independent and start building my own small business, so to speak. 
it's been now about a decade and I am today considered one of the biggest uh, independent brokers in Quebec. Well, congratulations, Jack. <laughs> Good stuff. We're lucky to have you with us today. <laughs> um, so look, maybe uh, sort of by way of like macro picture, um, you can just give us a little bit of a uh, bird's eye view of what's happening in the industry today. Because, you know, me as like a, as an investor, and I think most other people who are active in real estate are aware that there's a lot of changes, a lot of transitions happening in the insurance industry. So maybe you can like kind of give us the main points and, and, and tell us what kind of things you see evolving on the horizon. Absolutely. That's a great question. Uh, so first and foremost, I'd like to begin by advising everyone that the insurance industry works in a matter of cycles, in what we call a hard, a hard market and a soft market. And generally, these cycles in the past have always had seven-year timelines on and off. So for about seven years, the prices would be reducing as the market interest would open up for different segments and uh, capacities would open by via the different insurance companies. And of course, during the hard market, the complete opposite occurs. There's less of an interest to take on new clientele because risks are considered a little bit too high. And in hindsight, prices go up as well. The market and which we're finding ourselves in today is in fact the hard market. Insurance companies who predominantly did real estate in the past have chosen to do one of three things. Some markets have chosen to completely eliminate the portfolio of new development or new business uh, in terms of real estate, whether it be multi-unit apartments or semi-commercials. Uh, some have decided to put in place new criteria of admissibility, making it a little bit more complicated to fall into their new port within the into their portfolio. And others have maintained the way things have always been. So let's talk about a little bit of all three. Uh, the insurance industry used to have and used to benefit from about I would say two dozen insurance companies which offer products for real estate. Companies such as uh, Winward, such as RSA, such as Economical, which in the past did multi-unit apartment buildings. Let's keep it to that because I believe that's where most of your, uh, your, 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 your base uh, or your member base is, is, is interested in. And over the come last couple of years, those markets, alongside many others, have decided to pull the plug and no longer offer those products to any new customers. Unfortunately, their experiences regarding the claims were always way too high in relation to the actual revenues that were being brought in. Insurance is a business at the end of the day. If you're not making money in a specific segment, you're going to put an end to that segment. The second is the companies such as Promutuel, Lunique, uh, Intact even, Optimum and others who over the course of the pandemic, more specifically, but even before, started putting in place new criteria of admissibility, saying we've had too many losses. It's not a revenue generating segment of the business for us. There's no profit in it. And so we need to start scaling back our interest in any new potential clients and really putting a focus as to what type of clients we would like to get in the future. And so they have essentially put in place criteria which fall between either location, either age of construction, or other parameters. Now, if you want, we can touch base on all of those. Location-wise, it's very simple. There are certain capacities which insurance companies have, and those capacities are divided into sectors, or in our case, the postal codes. Certain areas which used to have higher capacities, which would allow insurance companies to get larger market share, have now been reduced, having less of an opportunity to quote in those markets. Even if the building is a pristine building that they would take in every other circumstance, if their capacity in that area is at its peak, they're unable to take additional risks. The second has to do with the age. Now, the age is something which is really becoming an issue today, specifically in Montreal, where most of our buildings are somewhat older. Insurance companies like Promutuel have essentially stated that for the current time and for the foreseeable future, any new request for insurance on a multiplex building, and keep in mind that when we talk about multiplexes in commercial insurance, we're talking about everything that is seven units and above. So we're excluding everything which is three, four, five, and six. So their criteria is, is that a building must be 
in terms of age of construction, 25 years old or less, or at the very least, having been completely stripped down to the structure and re rebuilt over the past 25 years. Companies like Lunique have the same criteria with a date of 35 years. Companies like, like Optimum, the same, but at 40. And Intact recently increased from 40 to 60. So as you can see in just a few examples, we're finding ourselves in the current market in a situation where most of our buildings today in new business don't fall within the categories or the appetites of the existing insurance companies. Now, I keep bringing up the concept of new business or new requests, because if a client is already with one of these insurance companies and was lucky enough to get into them before their criteria change, well, they're, let's call it quote unquote grandfathered in. Now, there is the third aspect, which I was mentioning before, which were the other criteria, which really, you know, range to, can range to various different things. Some companies not accepting any buildings with fireplaces. Some companies not accepting any buildings with, few, with uh, breaker boxes with 60, amp, amp, with 60 amps and have a minimum of 100. Now, it used to be that insurance used to be looked at in Cape Town on a per-building basis. But during a hard market, it is the opposite. Things are looked at in a general form. Essentially, the underwriter who's receiving your application, who's going to identify whether they can underwrite it and at the price that they're going to give it to you at, is putting you in a box. And you have to fit in that box. And if you don't, unfortunately, you fall victim to what I call the substandard markets or the wholesalers. The ones who will take everything and anything today, but like everything else, there's a price to it. Um, so like, let me just ask, you know, a question with these, uh, with respect to the market cycles. So like, normally markets obey a kind of a law of supply and demand, right? Like if there's a bunch of people who want to get into a market, then the prices go up. And when there's less demand, prices go down. Um, with insurance, there's also the question of risk, because I guess the way the world is going, there are certain things that are riskier today than they were before. Um, what do you think are the contributing factors to it being a hard market? I mean, I know like we talk a lot about, you know, how climate change and like uh, just various uncertainties um, might make increase the risk for insurers. Is that really what's creating the different market? Like what is it that's influencing the market towards, uh, you know, something that's more competitive for, for clients? So predominantly the hard market and the soft markets are based on revenues or profits and claims and losses. At the end of the day, if the revenues are high enough and losses are low, well, then the market starts to convert because everyone wants to become more competitive in that space, lowering prices, getting a larger market share. The opposite is the same. And the opposite is just as true. As claims go up and revenues and profits go down, the market starts tightening up. And you have to keep in mind that although we are in the local Canadian market, every Canadian insurance company has a reinsurance company behind them. The reinsurance companies are not limited or are not strictly Canadian. They reinsure globally. And so we don't always consider the facts, but if something occurs, an earthquake, a flood, uh, whatever the case may be, somewhere in Taiwan, in the Philippines, in, in Israel, in Morocco, wherever else around the world, and large losses are paid there, the reinsurer will also have an effect towards the current markets here. So at the end of the day, it really becomes losses and revenues. If losses are paid in great number, the market starts hardening up because revenues have to start increasing. The problem there is it's kind of hard to say to someone, I'm going to increase you by 300% this year because I have to make back. And so it's a slow process with the indexations and the increase in revenues from the insurance companies that they can, that they can put in at every renewal. Now, every insurance company has their average renewal increase ranging from 10% to 25, but that's for their own reasons. But again, an insurance company can't say, I'll increase you 300% this year. Mm -hmm. yeah. Someone no. can't. I mean, it's it's so fascinating because like really, I guess for, uh, for us as laymen, like we, you know, we just have our regular uh, either we interface with someone like you or we're like we, you know, more and more people are, are turning to Desjardins and like uh, direct insurers who we can get into why that is or isn't a good idea. But like we really have an interface with like the first level of the insurance and 
it's not clear to us necessarily that behind that there's a market for reinsurance. Like in the same way that with banking, like people deal with, you know, whatever the CIBC or TD or Desjardins, but behind that is the Bank of Canada or in the US behind that is the Fed and monetary policy. And so there's this big like macro thing that means, okay, something happens in the Philippines and then it has an effect on the market here, right? Of course, absolutely. And the reinsurers essentially dictate how the market goes at a certain at a certain level. Keep in mind that the reinsurers are called on for a wide range of different things. They're called on for capacity in order to take on a certain risk, which is over the ability for a specific insurance company to underwrite. Or if it's relative to a certain risk, which you know the insurer doesn't have necessarily a certain appetite or a certain uh, expertise or a certain interest in, the insurance company gives them certain leeway. And at some, at some point, the, insur the reinsurance also dictates a portion of that pricing. So giving you a little bit of an example, Intact, which is the biggest insurance company in Canada, can go up to a certain amount of what we call TIV or total insurable value. For example, for, and for just the case of this example, let's say they can go to $10 million for their own insurance without having to call on a reinsurance. Whereas a company like, let's say, Optimum, for example, just, just, to, just to shoot one out, might say we can go to $5 million. And by trying to bridge that gap from the five to 10, Optimum is going to have to call on their reinsurance. And the reinsurance is going to dictate the rate at which they're going to underwrite that. And for most insurance companies, no insurance company wants to lose money on a risk. No insurance company wants to have someone else take the equal share or a share of the risk and make more money than they do. So if someone says, I'll take 50% of the risk and I'll charge 50% more than you will, the, the initial insurance company is going to say, no, 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 I want my price to be the same as you. We're taking the same risk. I want to take the same, I want to charge the same amount of money. So the reinsurer has an opportunity to dictate that risk and dictate that price. Yeah, oh, fascinating. It's really, really fascinating. Um, so if we move out of the macro and into the more micro, um, maybe you could just kind of explain to our listeners when you're going through setting up an insurance policy for a new property, what are the maybe three to five top things you need to watch out for? Like when you're having that initial conversation with your, uh, your broker or, or with your direct insurer, what questions should, should one ask and what sort of things should, should one keep one's eye on? Let's say. Perfect. So first and foremost, I'd like to advise everyone watching and everyone listening that most often the comment that I get is always about price. Price, price, price. And yes, price is a primary factor in insurance. However, at its core, you pay for what you get. And no two insurance companies are the same. Every insurance company, what you pay for is what you get in the form of those 100 or 150 pages of wording behind it. The insurance companies who just provide you a quote and it looks beautiful and their marketing is extremely well done, well, always ask, for the wording behind it, have a chance to review that, or at the very least, ask your broker for his advice. He should already be aware as to what, where the differences lie between one company and the next. But when it comes down to actually calling your broker or your direct insurer and asking for coverage, I'd like to talk about two things. The first is what kind of coverages you should get. And the second, what information is really the most valuable to give to try and get the best product, but also the best price out of it. So in terms of the product, Keep in mind that there's a, a misconception when it comes to the general public and insurance when it comes to certain coverages. The reason being is because insurance is a very, very old industry. And a lot of our wording, a lot of our terminologies haven't evolved, but the coverages behind them have. For example, machinery breakdown or boiler machinery is a coverage that most people say, I don't have an elevator in my, in my you know, three floor, 12 unit building. I don't need this coverage, but in case, but in fact, you do, because the boiler machinery coverage is what covers essentially everything between your walls, every aspect of your building, which makes this building an operational business venture, such as whether it be the heating, the air conditioning, the piping, and so forth. So keep in mind that you need to secure yourself financially, and the best way of doing so is by making sure that you protect yourself with everything which is available to you on the market. Insurance is your only financial guarantee. And it's best that you guarantee yourself against any and all potential risk which you may face in the future. And 
unfortunately find yourself in a financial downfall or at financial risk should you not be covered. So the coverages, for example, which tend to be the ones with less interest on the part of the general public but end up being the most valuable are things such as water damage and sewer backup. There's a reason why water damage and sewer backup are some of the most expensive coverages on the market. It's because they account for about 80% of all losses in real estate. Yet most people are going to say, I only need a small value or a small limit of insurance for this. I don't believe or estimate that one day I'm going to fall victim to this. And I don't believe that the cost of the repairs is going to really be over this amount. And the truth is, costs go up very high, very quickly. And the difference in cost of insurance can be maybe a couple hundred dollars between what the client is asking and what the broker or the professional is offering. And at the, at the end of the day, this is a rental business. Your expenditures are meant to be paid by your tenants' rents. A little less profit for a lot more financial security and guarantee is something worth doing. Mm -hmm. Now, we can expand on that a little bit more in, later on, but I really want to touch base on everything and all your future questions, so I'm trying to kind of condense it. The important details which most buyers of new real estate buildings today are not really focusing on and are not providing their brokers or professionals the valuable information and details we require on is in relation to the renovations. When we ask for renovations, we don't ask when the windows were changed or when the flooring was redone or when the ramp was last redone, right? These are aesthetic, these are pleasant, these are, yes, valuable renovations to be put into the building. But in terms of insurance, we care about five major aspects. And these five aspects will essentially define in large part your cost of insurance. They are when the roof was last redone and the type of roofing, of course, the age of your hot water tanks. And it's extremely important that most people don't change their tanks and they forget, or at least are not advised that every insurance contract in Quebec and under a commercial insurance policy has an exclusion when it comes to hot water tanks, whereas damages which have been the result of a faulty tank over a certain age, depending on the insurance company, 10 or 12 years old, are not covered. And so it's important that those tanks be changed before the 10-year mark. The next are the electrical, the heating, and the plumbing. Now, there's two ways of really going about it. Your renovations have either been complete in the case of the building was stripped down, the wires were all completely redone, the breaker box is redone, the main entry is completely redone. That is considered a full renovation. It's almost as if your building is put anew. And the next is a partial one where you say, we changed the boxes, but you know the wiring in the, in the building is from 1976. The reality is that the insurance company and the way an underwriter views your building is, it's always under a worst case basis. Where is that potential claim going to stem from? Is it from the new pipes in, you put in the kitchen for the plumbing system or in the shower? Or, or is it that old pipe from the 1945, which is still in your walls, which eventually might burst and cause a $100,000 damage? So although you may think as a real estate investor and buyer that you're buying a solid building, you also have to consider the insurance company with every day that passes considers your building to be of a greater risk. Okay. Um, and if we, so like you, you touched on, uh, you know, the aspect of water damage and like, uh, uh, um, what's it called? The refoulement d'égout, like as, as, uh, as coverages, but what about stuff that's like a little bit more esoteric? I know that like, you know, um, for me, I, I never know if I should take earthquake insurance or flood, like flood insurance. Like are those coverages? Cause earthquake insurance can be like really quite expensive. So like, what, what do we do when we're faced with those dilemmas? So first and foremost, let's talk about flood, flood insurance to, to, to start off. Um, flood insurance, right? Most people are going to call me, I have a flood in my basement or I have a flood in my home. The reality is it's not a flood. It's, it's a water infiltration. It's a sewer backup. A flood, for when it comes to flooding insurance, is categorized as a large body of water, which essentially over, overtakes, right? So we're talking about a lake, a river, the ocean. 
right? Water damage at its core is defined as three different damages. You have water that we have water damage which comes from down up. Sorry, from up down. My apologies. So up to down, which can be considered a water infiltration, whether it be a, a roof leak or whether it be someone uh, spilling water on the floor, whatever the case may be, it's water that goes from up to down. That is a water infiltration. A sewer backup is water that comes down to up. Now, again, just touching on sewer backup, sewer backup coverage is not limited to water coming back up from your main sewage pipe. Water sewer backup coverage is any single water damage where water should have gone down but came back up. An example of which, for example, is let's say the gutters on a roof in the middle of spring, which have been completely frozen due to the winter frost and from the fall before that, a significant amount of leaves and debris, which is clogging the drain from, for the gutter from the roof. And during the, you know, the, 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 the sorry, the spring, the spring you know, thaw and the rain, if water was supposed to go down that drain, but ends up accumulating on the roof and it ends up seeping into the building, that is not a water infiltration. The proximate cause, and in insurance, we always look at what the proximate cause is, is a sewer backup because water was supposed to go down, but instead, instead rose back up. Now, flooding is water that comes from left or right to essentially the targeted spot, right? It comes from left to right and so forth. So the interesting thing about flooding, flood insurance is that it's actually a very inexpensive coverage. It's not expensive in the least. And it's something that is usually dictated by the banks. The banks are going to tell you for your mortgage, you require it. For anyone who's actually living in what we call a flood zone, that coverage is either not available because the risk is just too great or extremely expensive. For everybody else, I would say the, the interest and the benefit of that coverage depends on how far you are from that large body of water. If you're within a mile radius from, you know, Centennial Park in Dora de Zalmo, well, chances are it's not going to come, it's not going to come towards you. But, you know, if you're across the street from the St. Lawrence, if you're, if you're across, across from the St. Lawrence River, chances are you want to cover yourself for that. And when it comes to earthquake, that's a completely different ballgame. In insurance, we get annual kind of newsletters and, and documentation from actuaries and industry experts. And the reality is that for years now, we've been having statements from experts saying Montreal and Quebec, which is under a fault line and in what we call a at-risk uh, earthquake zone, has been at risk of a major earthquake for almost a decade. We are overdue for that earthquake, is what the experts are saying. In reality, nobody knows what the future holds. That's why insurance is there. If we knew earthquakes were never going to come, no one would insure themselves for it. But it may come today, like it may come tomorrow, like it may never come. Mm -hmm. But the ones who are going to benefit if it does are the ones who say, I will pay for that coverage. I will make sure that I will secure myself against any and all potential financial risk I may face, which could otherwise be transferred to an insurance company. And again, these are rental revenue properties. Your cost of financial security is paid by your tenant. Do not, do not scale back on that financial security for a few dollars or a few extra bucks of profit because I've seen in my industry things people say will never happen, but that actually do. And things that people say are just absolutely unlikely, but have happened more than once. Yeah. I mean, I want to like kind of uh, just pull two things out of what you said. And I think the first one is a really good point about, um, you know, how the cost of insurance gets passed on to the tenants, because um, for those of you listening who are still not doing your increases with the regie calculation, like, the insurance cost and uh, municipal taxes are one of the things that gets passed on the most directly to the tenants. So in a sense, you know, maybe your renovations, there's a very small percentage of that cost that gets passed on to the tenants, but the insurance, it's almost one for one. So like you should really not um, try to save on insurance costs, thinking that you're the one who's going to end up bearing the load of that, because ultimately, since it's a direct cost of doing business, like even 
with your increases, you can go ahead and, and pass some of that spending onto the tenants. So I think that's, that's the first point I wanted to make. And the other point is, you know, with something like earthquake insurance, like the thing is that the risks are priced into the quotes that you're getting. So if like, you know, uh, whatever, I don't know what percentage uh, of a policy, uh, you know, earthquake insurance usually takes, but like, normally it's like, it's a quite a big add on. And if that's the case, it's because someone somewhere did a calculation that if ever this were to happen, how much risk, like it's an, it's an expensive risk because it's a catastrophic, right? Mm -hmm. And it's catastrophic to the sense that like, if X number of percentage of buildings in Montreal or in a given area end up being damaged, severely damaged by some kind of a major event like that, um, the insurance companies are going to have to pay that out. And like that it's already, the risk is already priced into the price. Correct. I mean, at the end of the day, if there was no risk at all anywhere, well, then cost of insurance would be low. But like you said, the actuaries working for the insurance companies are pricing these risks accordingly. If you get an insurance quote and you identify that something costs you a lot of money for that specific coverage, chances are that's the coverage you want to take because that's the chances that something's going to be paid out on because that's the chances of what's most likely going to cause a claim. And so it's not about saying this is, you know, I think this is an expensive cost. No, it's this is an expensive cost because this is what most likely will incur your claim. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's the basic concept that like markets are efficient. Like often when exactly. people are paying, they just think, oh, they just look at the price tag. But like ultimately markets are efficient in the sense that the price adjusts itself to either demand or to the product that's being sold. So I think that's, you know, always good to remember. Um, I, I wanted you maybe just explain very quickly, because I know that at a certain point, like uh, while we're talking about what things cost and what they're worth, um, replacement value uh, is something that I know when I started out as uh, as an investor, like I just had a tendency to like grossly underestimate replacement value because it has a very big effect on the premium. And so I was always just like, oh, well, let me get away with, you know, putting half the cost of replacement value because I don't want to pay a lot of money for my for my premium. So maybe you can just tell us like, what is the importance of replacement value and how can one go about knowing how much coverage is necessary? That's, a, that's an absolute perfect question. And there's really, I'm going to touch on, on two things regarding that question, how to really answer you and, and answer the question for all your listeners in a proper way. Um, first and foremost, it's absolutely critical that people be made aware that your municipal valuation, your market value has nothing to do with the reconstruction value of your building. It is way too often that someone calls me for a building to ensure whether a new buyer, an existing client uh, or an existing, sorry, owner contacts me and says, my building is worth this much. And this is how much I want to insure it for. The reality is, is that the market value of one building can be affected greatly from Montreal to Rouen de Noranda. But the reconstruction value of that building is generally going to fall under the same values here to there. And we insure the reconstruction value, which means if tomorrow the building burns to the ground, our job is to be able to re to, to be able to essentially cover the expense of the demolition of the remaining portion, the debris removal, and then the architectural designs and the reconstruction of that same building in, with the materials of today. Which means if you have a building of 1956 and tomorrow we have to rebuild it, obviously the quality materials are going to be those of today. And the construction, that of today. Now, the value of insurance needs to be dictated not by the broker, not by the client. It has to be dictated by a professional evaluator, which you call on for the reconstruction value. It is the safest and the best way of doing so. The broker is has no authority to dictate what amount of coverage you need or what you require. We can only advise you whether we believe it is too little, but we will never tell you if it's too much because there is nothing wrong with too much. Too much means added security. Too little means added risk. But at the end of the day, the one who dictates what they want on their policy is the client, although it shouldn't be his decision. It should be that and strictly of a professional. So those of you who have a building, please consider the fact that that revaluation is, is recommended every five years. Because at the time of a loss, you can get affected in a very, very big way if your building is what we call underinsured. Now, how does that happen? Well, on every insurance contract, there's what we call coinsurance. 
Coinsurance at its base is something that the insurance companies put together a couple of decades ago after they realized that people were insuring themselves for half the value of the building or and you know they didn't want you know, the client didn't want to pay for a million dollars of coverage so he says I'll pay for 500,000 it'll never happen that I can get you know more than a half a million dollar claim and so on and so forth and insurance companies were respecting the contracts back then if you had a $200,000 damage on a $500,000 policy they would say okay well here's your check for $200,000 the insurance company said this is no longer fair technically they said they were insuring or they were taking the risk of a million dollar property why and they were paying out the damages in full why would they only incur half the premium on that same risk and so they put in place a co-insurance clause which essentially represents that the insurance company will pay the client in full his entire partial damage if the amount of insurance on his policy is equal to or greater than 80 or 90 percent of the full reconstruction value of the building the reason why i brought up partial damage earlier is because if it's a total loss well they pay you the total loss value of your contract coinsurance is only applicable on partial losses which represent 99 percent of all losses so to give a quick example as to how this would work if you have a million dollar building and you have an 80% coinsurance clause on your building, the insurance company therefore is stating, if you have $800,000 of insurance or more, we will never penalize you during a claim. So if you have 800 or 801,000, they'll give you your check for whatever your damages are. But let's take the example in the reverse way. Let's say you have a building of a million dollars with that same 80% coinsurance clause on your contract. That means that technically the insurance company wants to see a minimum amount of 800,000, which is the representation of 80% of a million dollar value. But if hypothetically the client says, I will insure myself for only $400,000, technically the client is respecting only 50% of his obligations towards his contract. And if tomorrow he has a $100,000 damage, the insurance company will pay him only 50% of that loss. And that is how most people who are underinsured end up going against the broker or the insurance company saying, you guys cheated us and so on and so forth. When in reality, it's not the case. The insurance contracts are black and white. And FYI, if ever an insurance contract has any sort of gray, it always falls to the benefit of the client, never to that of the insurance company. So that black and white stipulates, insure yourself under these parameters and they've given you a leeway, 80% or higher, in order for you not to get penalized. If you choose to go against that requirement, you are essentially accepting to take that risk and take that loss. Mm -hmm. And so is this the same thing uh, as, uh, I don't know what, what it's called in English, as a valeur à neuf or no? No, no, absolutely. So valeur à neuf or guaranteed replacement cost. Can, it really does change depending on the insurance companies, right? The wording can be the same, but it can be applied differently everywhere else. There are things like valeur à neuf, which is very important to have if you can. Not every insurance company is going to allow it on a building. But there are other aspects and other, other I would say, clauses that the general public should be made aware of that maybe they should consider trying to get into their contract. For example, um, the same site and adjacent site clause to be removed. Most insurance contracts in Canada require that if tomorrow your building burns down, your building will be rebuilt at the same site or an adjacent site of where it was initially standing. But if you ask your broker and your insurance company to have that clause removed, for example, you could benefit from, if ever at the time of total loss, rebuilding your building anywhere else on any other parcel of land. And I bring this up because I had a client about a decade ago who bought a piece of, who bought a property on the Rue Jubainville in uh, Montreal North. He's gonna, if, he, if he's listening to me, he's gonna know who I'm speaking about. His building burned down. He had the choice to rebuild it there or to rebuild it, believe it or not, on a piece of land he had acquired in NDG a few years back. He rebuilt it in NDG. That same building, let's call it what it is, just took a significant increase in value. So there are ways 
which an insurance contract can be tailored to the benefit of the client. It's not every insurance company who will be able to do so or who will be willing to do so. But for all the investors out there, I will give one piece of advice. Forget price, think about coverage. The best insurance coverage on the market today for a multi-unit residential building is one of the most expensive. It's in fact. Their wordings already at its core include coverage for bylaws, includes cover it removes the same site and obligation clause, and includes coverage for the uh, for 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 for, for some things which are already innate to that coverage. Okay, well, you pay, you pay for what you get. So to yeah, speak. good advice. <laughs> Sounds like a used car salesman, but good right, advice. But I, I keep in mind, I represent a lot of companies, not just Intact, but my I give advice to my clients if they call and say, "I want the Cadillac." Well, I say, "Well, this is the Cadillac. You want the Civic? This is the Civic." You know, obviously there's the there's the Bugatti somewhere also, but generally speaking, that's not for everyone. And uh, so, and so on and so forth. Great. Um, so we just have an audience question, which I think is uh, pretty useful. So um, Helen is asking us, which um, um, you're gonna oh, it's a, fr a franchise in English. Which um, deductible? Deductible. Thank you. Perfect. So deductibles used to be something that people used to utilize to manipulate the cost of their insurance. And it used to be that increasing your deductible would give you a significant decrease in your cost of insurance. Times have changed. The deductible is really no longer a tool that the client can use to, bene to benefit himself. It's become a tool that the insurance companies use to offset risk. What I mean by that is about a decade ago, you would increase the deductible from $1,000 to $2,500 on your policy. And the client would benefit from a savings of almost $1,000 on his policy, sometimes more, but not usually much less. Today, that same increase in deductible might save you 150 or 200 bucks. The reality is, is how many years must you go without a claim for you to actually fall into your money regarding that, that change in deductible? Secondly, the insurance companies are actually imposing deductibles. For example, excuse me, flood, flood coverage has a minimum deductible of 25,000. Water damage for most insurance companies are coming at a minimum deductible of 5,000. And if they, they believe that the risk is too elevated or the building is in improper shape or hasn't had proper renovations brought forth, if they consider that risk to be a little too great, they're going to force the deductibles to be even higher at 10,000, 15 or 25. It's become more a tool for the insurance company to be able to insure than it has been for the client to offset cost. Okay. Um, okay. Um, one, I, I have one last question and then maybe we can turn it over uh, to uh, if there's any audience questions. Um, so, uh, you know, I think all of us who are in the real estate industry are aware that the cost of construction and the cost of materials, the cost of labor has really gone up in the last, you know, ever since the beginning of the pandemic. Um, does this mean that we need to review our construction costs and like review what's going on with our co-insurance? Like, is it possible that if, you know, let's say a policy is just carrying over from year to year, we might be way off with our reconstruction costs? So, first of all, great question. Very, very true. You're absolutely correct. We absolutely should review and should revise those values. Now, most people aren't aware of this, but every insurance policy for any building, every year when you get your insurance renewal, you'll notice, if you look close enough, that the amount of insurance on your building is higher at your renewal than it was the previous year. Because we have to, at every renewal, do a simple indexation on your value to take into account the increase in value in labor, inflation, and cost of materials. So generally speaking, that in indexation to your policy can be three or 4% every year as an increase in cost of construction. It's automatically done for you. Now again, this should be sufficient if at its base, your amount of insurance which you had provided us was sufficient. If you were underinsured in 2016, that 
year-to-year increase in coverage will not be sufficient today. Now, let's call it what it is. The pandemic did something that no one was expecting. It has caused it has caused the cost of materials to skyrocket, and it has caused the cost of labor to skyrocket, therefore directly impacting the cost of reconstruction and your own security blanket, which is your insurance policy. Now, most insurance companies have actually been very, very accommodating. They have said, we will not you know, let fall victim the client over a loss during the time of the pandemic because it's a singular activity. I mean, this is unprecedented. No one can expect and no one can really know the cost of their increase and the value of their building today based on what, what's going on in the market. And so they're, for most of the insurance companies are not, affect, are not letting this affect their clients' current claims. However, if this situation persists and if after COVID comes to its end, costs do not start going back down, then it will become the new normal. And that new normal will have to will make it so that everyone will be forced to review their cost of in, their values and their amounts of insurance. An insurance company at its core is generally very accommodating. Believe me, multiple have told me, call me insurance companies are crooks or this or that. Believe it or not, they're actually they pay. I have never had an insurance company who has not paid a claim or not paid a damage when the insurance policy says that they're responsible to pay it. I have also never seen an insurance company not pay a damage when their wording is ambiguous because it always falls to the benefit of the client. They'll go and they'll fix and, re and rectify that wording thereafter, but if it's there, the client benefits. If something is not paid, it's because the client has not met the obligations or it's not meant to be in the contract. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to these things which are unexpected like COVID and it's increase in values relative to all of our constructions, they're very accommodating. Is there anything that you would like to add? Any questions that I didn't um, get to or, or any sort of closing comments you'd like to make? Absolutely. So one of the things I'd like to make sure everyone is aware of, uh, first and foremost, cost of insurance today is, is, is let's call it what it is, it's, it's at an all-time high. And I want to make sure that everyone is aware that that cost is expected to increase again for three to four years while we find ourselves in this hard market. Now, we never know what the future holds, but we go, we, we, we estimate the future based on past trends. And so if you're a real estate owner, if you're an investor, if you're looking to get into the market, make sure that your numbers Make sure that you base yourself on not only the cost of insurance today, but what the cost will be later on. But also, for all of you property owners who have someone who is who you're working with, who isn't giving you proper advice, there are fantastic insurance brokers in the Quebec market. I've had the pleasure of working with many and speaking to, to, to plural. There are fantastic brokers who are there to provide you advice. If you have a broker that when you call doesn't answer your question and doesn't take the time to really advise, give you advice, give you information and educate you as to what the market is and as to how insurance functions and as to how you can benefit from it, then look for someone who will. You're never stuck. An insure, your, your, your broker is paid by your insurance company. You can choose who gets paid by that company. You can choose your broker. So uh, that being said, essentially the power falls in the client's hands because the client always decides mm -hmm. who he wants to work with. And Great. Uh, more yeah. important, sorry, more important yeah. than the price is the product and your understanding and comprehension of that product. Okay, well, uh, no, no, great advice, uh, Jacques. So um, 
if uh, just by way of conclusion, uh, is there some way that people should reach out to you if uh, either they're interested in, you know, um, giving you some business or, or, or something? Is there how should people uh, get in touch with you? Absolutely. So um, I'm going to put the business part aside. Um, I really want to focus on educating anyone who has a question, anyone who has a concern, giving them all the information they seek. Uh, so please feel free to call me at any time. I am available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And yes, that's true, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. My wife hates it, but it is the reality. I am always available to any current client and any potential client or anyone asking for just uh, information and advice. I can be reached on my cell, which is 514-961-5048. I repeat, 514-961-5048. I believe, Terry, you'll most Yeah, we'll drop that. We'll drop that in the comments after, yeah. Absolutely. And uh, let me start by giving you the information you seek. If ever in the future you'd like to have me quote a building or give me some business, fine. But that's not what I'm looking for right now. My interest is to educate the market as to how insurance functions so that everyone can be better off in insuring themselves properly and better off in acquiring that, that indemnity that they deserve at the time of the loss. Great. Well, Jacques, thank you so much for being with us today. Um, I know I can say the, the two things that that come out, he actually does answer his phone 24-7 because I know that at times I've called you like at off hours, you always pick up. So that's, first of all, that's true. <laughs> um, and secondly, I just want to thank you for taking the time to uh, share your knowledge with us and, and give some of those explanations that like for me as an investor have been super valuable over the years because I know like every time I have a question about insurance. I pick up the phone, I call you and like, you're really able to demystify stuff for me and make it in a way that it's, you know, easy to digest and understand. And so it's very valuable to be able to do that in a, a format like this one, when we can have you on the podcast to share that wisdom, um, with, uh, the people who, who are listening and watching. So Jacques, thank you so much for being with us. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's it. Thank you very much. And, uh, goodbye to you. Goodbye to Jean-Philippe and goodbye to everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye. All the best. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Estate Investors Club podcast, our special on damage insurance with Jacques Amslag. We hope that after listening to this, you've gained some insight into how the insurance industry works. You can also feel free to reach out to Jacques directly with his phone number that's included in the show notes. If you found that there was valuable information in this episode, please don't hesitate to share it so that other people can benefit from the knowledge as well. Thanks for listening to the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, remember to give us a rating, leave a comment, subscribe, and share. You can find Terry at terryshower.com. Her book, Mindful Landlord, is available on Amazon. You can also follow her on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. JP is the president of the Real Estate Investors Club. You can learn more about the club's networking and educational activities on Facebook by searching for Real Estate Investors Club. Look to the show notes to find information on our guests and links to material mentioned in the episode.